Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it on a Thursday. Chris Schmidt is out for the 4th of July weekend. This is Damon Barr here with you, ready for a best of edition of Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We got a terrific lineup today, as Chris himself said. That is a bleeping best of. We're going to start things off with the pirate, Mike Leach. Great to have you. City Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt with you. Wishing you a happy and healthy 4th of July. A best of show today. A lot of guests and conversation from some of your favorites. And uh, we'll start off here with, well, one of my favorites, Mike Leach. This conversation happened uh, around the 4th of July, maybe about a year ago, with Coach Leach, the Pirate. And uh, talk vacation spots uh, movies and yes, Fourth of July in uh, Cody, Cody, Wyoming. I want to remind you about buzz driving. It's drunk driving, a few beers or drinks after work on game day at a party or special event, then getting behind the wheel. That's buzz. That's impaired driving. Safe driving demands your full attention. One out of every three traffic fatalities in Nebraska, alcohol-related. Many of those drivers buzz. Remember, you drink, you drive, you lose a message from the Nebraska Office of Highway Safety. Take heed with that this celebration, this holiday weekend. Without further ado, Mike Leach on Hale Varsity Radio, the best of. So Key West is where you, you unwind before we get, and you put out on Twitter, 50 films that demand your attention authored by Mike Leach and we'll get into some of these films I love the the Twitter topic but I've not been to Key West what's it like man is it pretty chill is it a great vacation spot you know in my case because we still got our house here uh um you know it's 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 relaxing more than anything it's uh you know this is really more of a fishing island than a beach island although there is beaches around it but uh, most importantly, it's got kind of, uh, oh, it's got the real active street, Duval Street, which would be probably uh, oh, a mellower version of Bourbon Street. And then, uh, but it's got kind of a small town USA quality. Uh, uh, we have, uh, we don't have a car. We just bike everywhere here. And then, you know, the best thing to do here is really just, uh, wander around, hang out, and see all kinds of different people from all kinds of different places in, uh, in, in, in kind of a small setting. And so that's, that's good. And then, of course, uh, uh, in my case, I, uh, I always try to eat healthy and exercise. I get back to doing all the stuff I should have done beforehand, you know? <laughs> Mike Leach with his Hail Varsity Radio. You bump into any celebs down there? I know Jimmy Buffett's a Key West guy. I never have met. I know, I know a lot of people that have, have met Jimmy Buffett. I've never met Jimmy Buffett. I've been uh, inside of Jimmy Buffett's studio. I know his studio manager and his stage manager. Just ironically, I've never met Jimmy Buffett. Uh, I have run, uh, ran into Robert Earl King here one time, uh, and it was funny because um, our staff at, uh, at Texas Tech were big Robert Earl King, King fans. And, of course, he... Uh, graduate from Texas A&M, which was a big rival for us. And um, 
And, uh, you know, if we beat A&M, we'd go home and listen to, uh, you know, we'd be out in Charlie Stendler's backyard till late at night listening to Robert Earl Keane. Um, now mainly because we liked Robert Earl Keane, but there was an irony that it was Texas A&M, uh, <laughs> you know, who, who, who we'd beat. But we'd listen to Robert Earl Keane, whether uh, it was A&M or not. But it, was, it, it, it gave a little extra to it if it was Texas A&M. But they're just a fantastic guy, and it's funny. Uh, and he, he evidently follows football. Um, because they had the Songwriters Festival here, and I walked uh, uh, out of Sloppy Joe's, and I, I, I saw the manager and asked the manager, hey, is Robert Earl Keene here? He says, yeah, he's right back here. So I walked back there, and, <laughs> and Robert Earl Keene saw me first. And he said, hey, you're Mike Leach, you know. And, uh, so, so that was kind of funny because I didn't know he paid any attention. Well, I tell you what, you got a lot of fans, a lot of places. Mike Leach with us, Hale Varsity Radio, head coach at Washington State. Coach, you got busy on Twitter towards the end of June, and you have 50 films that demand your attention from Patton to Usual Suspects to Kill a Mockingbird to Eight Men Out, a lot of famous and Academy Award-winning flicks, and some other movies that, that guys just dig. Is there a movie or two? that if you see it on TV, you stop and you finish watching it? Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's funny how that thing developed because I'm always kind of looking for new movies, and there's a Danish-Swedish uh, movie about a killer, very Alfred Hitchcock, that I couldn't think about or think of. I couldn't think of the title, and it's mm-hmm. a subtitle movie. And I saw it within the last two years, and it was a pretty new movie. It's a heck of a movie. I just couldn't think of the title. And how this all started is, you know, I kind of wanted to see if there were any movies out there I hadn't seen and then uh, just kind of get a sense of what everybody liked out there. So I just threw out on Twitter, I said, uh, what are your three favorite movies? And of course, a lot of people fired back their three favorite movies. And then, of course, they asked me what my favorite movies were. And, uh, and, uh, well, and so I felt obligated to tell him my favorite movies. Trouble is, as it was rolling around my head for for those days, I couldn't narrow it down to three. You know, <laughs> I couldn't come up with three. And then, and worse yet, I couldn't say, you know, what's the top one or anything. Uh, and I, I uh, well, then I said, well, I'll put fifty that command attention. And in the course of doing that and thinking about that. Of course, there's stuff I left out, so I ended up with 65 of them on there. But, uh, uh, I, well, Real Bravo's one. I mean, I'll watch uh, a Real Bravo, uh, A Christmas Story. Now, part of it is they show it so often. Oh, yeah, 24 hours of it during Christmas. Yeah, and then there's, you know, just one thing that happens after the next uh, on that one. I guess uh, I have a tendency to finish that one. Uh, Real Bravo, definitely. Christmas Story, definitely. Uh, uh, I like your usual suspects call because once you get into that, you can't turn away. Yeah, no, that's really, that's just a great movie. Um, I'm sure there's others, um, but uh, uh, yeah, and then uh, then there were, you know, a couple that... uh, uh, people really like that I didn't have on. Uh, you know, the, the 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 two that come to mind is uh, Shawshank Redemption and Casablanca, two movies I really like. But I, they, you know, they 
they're not my top 65. They're other people's favorite movies, but they just weren't mine, but I liked them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it was kind of interesting what some folks came up with, and occasionally somebody will have something that's just off the beaten path. The most off the beaten path movie I saw that I thought was just excellent was Elvis meets Nixon. Tell me about that. I'm not familiar with it. I don't know who did it, and I just ran across it, and I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be just, well, and so it's a mock documentary. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, it's a true story. I mean, this stuff actually happened. Elvis, uh, you know, wanted to, ironically, Elvis wanted to battle drugs. He wanted to be a drug agent. Yeah, DEA, right? Yeah, he didn't do prescription drugs as, uh, as uh, you know, uh, an issue. He viewed stuff like marijuana and, and uh, you know, street drugs. As, and so he wanted to help enforce that stuff. And so, uh, uh, and he gets bored, and it's uh, it's around the Christmas holiday, and he and he uh, decides he's going to go to Washington and go volunteer his services, and. Uh, He's got gun permits and everything else, so he goes out there and he takes this uh, trip. It ends up taking him to Washington, ends up taking him all the way back to California, ends up taking him back to Washington in like uh, less than a three-day period. And there's actually a picture of him, and you can see in the picture he looks kind of tired. Uh, But he eventually gets himself in to Nixon and... uh, and, uh, you know, gets a badge, the whole thing, and I don't know that he ever did much other than maybe commercials or some promotional thing, but just his cross-country journey as he went with his limos and his Elvis uh, gear on and uh, and just uh, his uh, isolation as far as being the ultimate super celebrity and then all of a sudden running into normal people, uh, everything up to... Uh, going right to the White House gate and just telling the guy's Elvis he needs to go meet Nixon. and uh, uh, It's hilarious. I mean, plus just watching the characters is over the top, too. Mike Leach with his Hale Varsity Radio talking movies, Key West. And Coach, Cody, Wyoming, where you grew up, I imagine you guys had a pretty good time around the 4th of July. Any good fireworks stories? We had great, we had a great Fourth of July. Cody Wyoming's biggest holiday is Fourth of July. Okay, to begin with, uh, in Wyoming, um, you could, I mean, we could have all the fireworks, you know, whatever fireworks there were, we could have in Wyoming. And none of this, you just go to the fireworks display, we got to light them off ourselves. And, um, uh, and at every border in Wyoming, on the highways going in and out of Wyoming, even now, there's, uh, Firework stands that work about 24 hours a day, and if you happen to drive past in the middle of the night in the dead of winter, and you pull up there, there's going to be a dog outside that'll bark that'll wake up somebody in the trailer next door, and you'll go open up the fireworks store and sell you a bunch of fireworks. And uh, so that part was good, but we actually got to, you know, be right in the middle of the fireworks, and then uh, we had a big parade and uh, uh, a big rodeo for 4th of July. And there'd be everybody from Senator Alan Simpson at the rodeo. Uh, And when I was in Boy Scouts, um, we'd have all kinds of different grand marshals of the parade. And uh, and, 
our, my scout troop when I was about, uh, oh, I think I was probably 13 or 14. Um, <clears throat> we got to go to the airport to meet the, the grand marshals of the parade, and the grand marshal was John Wayne, and it was Jimmy Doolittle. And so, wow, our scout, our scout troop, yeah, Jimmy Doolittle, the World War II pilot. It, it was a really tiny guy. Um, and then John Wayne, of course, was gigantic. John Wayne was almost six four, and um, so we got to meet him as they came off the plane and uh, and shake their hands as they kind of went through a little band of Boy Scouts standing out there. That's pretty awesome, man. I mean, that, those are a couple of Grand Marshals. Wow. Yeah, they are. I mean, and then uh, I never... Oh, yeah, I did, because I was working at a fireworks store. Uh, Merlin Olson came walking in, and he was a Grand Marshal one time. By then, I was, uh, as a, eh, I was probably a junior in college, but he was on uh, uh, Father Knows Best or something like that. Well, no, it wasn't Father Knows Best. What's that? Anyway, he had that series. So Merlin Olson had a series that was real popular at the time. So he was a Grand Marshal of one of them, and uh, he came walking in the fireworks store wanted to buy some firecrackers, which obviously were illegal in California. <laughs> Are you, if you had to choose, were you a cherry bomb guy, an M80 guy, or a bottle rocket guy? Bottle rockets all the way. Um and this isn't really a very good idea, but uh, uh, this really isn't a great idea, but it was pretty common where I grew up. You'd get those bottle rockets, and, you know, you'd cruise up and down Main Street, and, and while or you might get in a field or whatever, but you, and, and I, I don't recommend this. I do not really like the beginning of the Jackass, the show Jackass. This is not recommended at home. I mean, this was done by professionals, all that. So we had, um, you get those uh, bottle rockets and you learn how to hold them just so at the very end, so you could kind of fire them out of your hand. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so you'd light them and have wars with those suckers. And, uh, and uh, you know, occasionally you'd go down Main Street and see your buddy's car and fire that sucker inside the car and that bottle rocket would go all around the car and then of course explode and there'd be paper and smoke inside the car and um, the uh, uh, it was great fun now the other thing let me just say occasionally um, uh, these bottle rockets aren't made by rocket scientists no. and uh, occasionally these bottle rockets are loaded backwards in other words the, the bottle rocket's supposed to fly you know go shh fly and then explode okay now, occasionally they're loaded backwards. Somebody put the thing on upside down, and you're going to light that fuse and go, shit, and it just explodes. And so then the sucker explodes while it's in your hand. You're just sitting there holding a stick. So, um, again, I, I do not recommend this. I mean, there's a reason fireworks are against the law in most states. But, uh, anyways, it was, uh, it was fun at the time. No, uh, no cherry bomb uh, porta potty story either? You had the. Uh, you know, you could get those, but you had to search around because they. Um, I, I don't know that they were frowned on, or um, I don't know if they were frowned on or illegal or just rare. The other thing, some of the M80s that I had, they'd be loaded in such thick paper, like in other words, kind of cardboard. Um, 
you know, there wasn't as much action to them as, say, really good, like, uh, uh, black cats, you right. know, really good firecrackers. Uh, we, we used to do this, and, uh, and it'd be surprising how much power there'd be. You'd get like a tuna can, light a black cat, put a tuna can over it, and clear away, and it would shoot that tuna can up in the air. <laughs> and I mean high, it would shoot it higher than the roof type of deal. Wow. Mike Leach with us, Hale Varsity Radio, talking 4th of July fun in Cody, Wyoming. <laughs> Great stuff from the pirate there. We got Rex Burkhead coming up next on a Hale Varsity Radio Best of Edition. Now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. But let's start off with uh, a guy that has been incredible at Nebraska and uh, won a Super Bowl with New England. Welcome back to the show. Rex Burkhead joins us. Rex, the last time you, me, and Searles chatted, you were playing Frisbee golf. Are you doing that today? I'm <laughs> uh, not today, but it's uh, nice enough weather where I am that I actually could. So uh, now that you give me the idea, I may have to get out there and do it. <laughs> Love that. Rex, it's great to see you. Great to hear your voice, man. It's been forever. Where are you at now? What are you doing, man? I know you're a new dad. Congratulations on that. But uh, give us a little rundown of where you're at in life now. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, back down in Plano, Texas for the off season. Uh, just down here seeing some family and uh, and friends and yeah, just enjoying some time with the little guy. Um, he just turned three months old, so um, you know, spending more time with him now that the season's over. And uh, yeah, just kind of soaking it in for uh, we start the off season again. That's awesome, Rex. Well, as we know, you won a Super Bowl with the Patriots this year. Walk us through maybe a little bit what that was like for you as far as from an emotional standpoint, from a physical standpoint. I saw pictures. Your whole family was there, dad rocking the Husker jersey, which was awesome, by the way. <laughs> but just how was that, man, for, for a guy that, for me, plays in the NFL and knows that that is the absolute optimal performance where you want to be? What was going through your mind when all that was going down? Yeah, it was uh... – you know, words really can't explain it. Um, it was pretty unbelievable, uh, especially experiencing all with all the family and having the confetti just fly down, hidden above you. Um, it's something you dream about as a little kid, you know, always growing up watching it on TV and then being there, finally experiencing it and, uh, you know, it happening. It's uh, really a dream come true. And, uh, yeah, my dad there and uh, with this Husker jersey, got lots of love for that. So, um, it was great. Had him, uh, my mom, my wife on the field, and just enjoy that moment with them. It was special. Rex Burkhead's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Super Bowl champ, and uh, what, a, what a year you had, Rex. And, you know, you look at New England and you look at the running back room, and versatility is kind of the word that, that I think of with New England in the, in the backs when you got uh, Sony and James and yourself and Devlin that are just, I mean, so integral. And you can just really hurt teams, running the ball, throwing the football, whatever it takes. And when it came time for you to to make a move and you ended up in New England and then they extended you, kind of walk us through how it fit. New England's pretty... um, It's not built for everyone. Right. It's it's a legendary place, but it is, air quote, the Patriot way. You got to be their fit as much as they got to be your fit and... How did that connect between the organization yourself when it came time into saying, look, I can go play here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was always a place, uh, schematically-wise, I always dreamed about playing in. Just the way they use their backs um, in the passing game, the run game, you know, I could always envision myself playing there. And so, and uh, just from hearing from guys who have played 
uh, in New England before. I mean, of course, they say it's not the easiest, but you know, once you get it down and everything, um, you, you love it. It's it's a football atmosphere. Uh, guys come and compete and love to work every single day, and um, you know, it's tough, but that's that's what it is. That's um, you know, I think what's given us success in the past few years and, um, you know, for them, I guess in multiple years, I've only been there for two, but, uh, you know, just those high expectations and standards every single day that coach Belichick, uh, puts on us, uh, just brings out the best in all of us. What's he like to play for? And I know you have a position, uh, coach that you're, you're locked in with and talked to a couple of guys that, that won with Brady. Uh, Russ Hochstein uh, really loved Belichick, but for you, what what is it about Belichick that you uh, you enjoy? Yeah, well, I think uh, you know really his intelligence for the game. It's unbelievable. I mean, he's he's got a mind for the game. I mean, he reads off every statistic or fact about every single player, coach that we're going up against every single week. So. Um, you know, it's impressive, and uh, I've learned so much, you know, situationally uh, about football from him um, and my time there and just other little little details and keys um, that I really learned to put into my game and something I've picked up on and, um, you know, just seeing those things and uh, recognizing that because um, it can help improve your game. Rex Burkhead, a couple more minutes with us, Hale City Radio. Rex, I want to go back to the AFC Championship and what a game. I mean, it's throwback football, right? It's cold, it's uh, it's arrowhead, it's loud, and uh, you, you score the game winner in overtime. Uh, tell me about staying ready, because uh, you'll you'll play a lot of snaps on special teams. You'll play, I think the Super Bowl. I, I counted, you had nineteen uh, snaps, nine touches. So I mean, you're you're a major uh, part of their efficiency. Did you know it might be your time in that overtime session? Yeah, um, you never know, uh, honestly. Um, like you were touching on earlier with the, the versatility and roles of our backs and, um, you know, our game plan, it changes constantly. Uh, we can go in the game with something and uh, the next series play, um, you know, it could be something completely different. So um, you never know when your number is going to be called and you just have to be locked in and, and ready to go when it is and uh, just capitalize on that opportunity and uh, do the best you can to contribute to the team. Rex, we played in some cold games here in Nebraska. What was colder, that Kansas City game or your senior year when we were at Iowa? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, at Iowa, it was cold. Was it? Uh, okay. Yes. That game was yeah. brutal. My dad and brother went to that, dude. They swore they're never heading to Iowa City again after that I game. swore after that. It was the worst <laughs> place imaginable. Yeah, that that game was cold. I mean, Kansas City, it's, it's up there. But, I mean, that game in Iowa, I don't know if anyone tops that. Mm. What have you been able to, to take from, from Brady and just in, in the time you've spent with him? How has he made you a better football player? And, and you're really good, so I'm not asking for love fest here on Tom. <laughs> but just in all honesty, I mean, the guy raises everyone's level. And, and tell me about Gronk, because I love the personality of Gronk when he's got his own uh, parade bus. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, Tom, I mean, his greatness speaks for itself. Um, you know, just some things I've taken from him is through his preparation uh, every single week. I mean, it's it's pretty unreal how much time he puts into it. And, 
uh, just his overall knowledge of the game plan, the plays we're running, and uh, you know stuff like that. So, and uh, just things you know as far as him taking care of his body. I mean, he's 41 years old and still um, you know competing at such a high level. So. Um, you know, I've definitely taken stuff from him. And, I mean, with Gronk, uh, I mean, he, he's <laughs> awesome. He's, uh, I noticed he's you guys weren't on the same buzz. We we were on the same one. And, uh, I mean, you got to be careful because people are just throwing <laughs> beer cans and whatnot at him left and right. And so, um, yeah, he actually got cut on the eye a little bit. Uh, someone caught him good. So, um, no, he, he, he yeah, he, he's a blast. He's, uh, you know, the, the most – talented tight end I've ever seen and played with um, for sure and uh, just the, the fun he has and energy he has um, you know rubs off on all of us I, I gotta ask how did Gronk, Gronk doesn't drop anything let alone a beer how did he get caught in the eye oh man I mean when I say they're coming from nowhere I mean they're <laughs> literally like 10 cans being thrown at them at a time it was it was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. So, um, yeah, I stayed on the, the other side of the slope for the most. <laughs> How was that parade, Rex? What was that like taking that, that trophy back home to the place that you guys love and play for? Was that a pretty neat experience, that whole parade? Yeah, no, it was cool, man. Um, I mean, that was when it really hit me, um, honestly, that we won. You know, I'm going into the parade thinking it's like a little, you know, Thanksgiving Macy's parade or something. I've seen videos of Gronk before, but I'm thinking like, you know, he's the only one, you know, having a good time or whatever. But no, that, that thing's unbelievable. Seeing all the people out there going crazy. I mean, you got kids. I mean, there's probably more kids than adults out there all skipping school just to come out. So it, it was neat just to see the support. I mean, one and a half million people uh, down in the city of Boston uh, is pretty special. Rex, uh, have you had a chance, and, and I know you, you've been busy with Super Bowls and playoff runs and all that. Have you had a chance to follow? Did you have a chance to follow Nebraska at all this fall at all? I did, yeah. Whenever I get a chance, I always try to watch the games. What's your take, man? I mean, there's some excitement, not a great start, really good finish, and lots of excitement moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, really love the way – uh, the guys they played at the end of the year. And, um, you know, I think that's only going to set them up for, for this year and the years to come. Um, you know, I, I love Scott Frost and uh, just the mentality he's bringing to the program. He can already tell with guys and the way they're playing and the way that they're, they're buying in. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's tough for new coaches at times to get guys to buy into what they're, they, they believe in, um, their values. And uh, once that happens, I mean, that's when, you know, big changes occur and, um, you know, definitely have the talent. Uh, Martina as a quarterback. I mean, that's, that's a great, great person to have right there leading your team. So I'm um, just looking forward to what they can do. Switching gears a little bit on your Rex. about a week from today, you'll be back here for our, one of our favorite events, the team Jack Gala. How has that been? I saw that Jack and uh, uh, Andy got to come to the, the Super Bowl with you. How has that relationship continued to grow and talk a little bit on the Gala next week? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so Andy and Jack, they're actually at the AFC Championship game as well. And um, Jack actually had a seizure at halftime. And oh, okay. uh, they went out to the car in the parking lot. And, um, you know, Jack kind of asked, or Andy asked Jack if, uh, you know, did you just want to start going home or do you want to try to go back in? And, you know, as tough as Jack is, he's like, no, nah, let's go back in the game. So they warrior. came back, saw the fourth quarter, saw overtime, and, uh, you know, stuck it through so um but it's great it was awesome 
uh, seeing them afterwards, and then they came to the Super Bowl, which is this, you know, means a ton. And, uh, yeah, we got the gala next weekend in Lincoln, Dick Vitale speaking, so um, it's going to be awesome. And, um, you know, just just excited to see the turnout. Um, the foundation's approaching $5.5 million uh, raised right now for pediatric brain cancer. That's impressive, man. That's so, so good. And uh, the the outreach you do, Rex, is incredible. Jeremiah, what you do is incredible with the fight against pediatric brain cancer. And did you have a, an idea, Rex, like a, a big picture thought on on this gala? I mean, it's been going for how many years now? I think this is six. Six, right? right? I mean, did, did you... You think it'd be going six, and you, you hoped, but I mean, it keeps yeah. gro- it keeps growing every year. Yeah, you hope, and uh, I think you never know really how big it, it could get, but uh, it's unbelievable. And uh, you know, guys like Jeremiah as well, really helping out, bringing some alumni back and other players for the gala, and um, just all the support we get, it's it's phenomenal. And uh, to see familiar faces come back every single year, and even current players and coaches come as well. Um, just the amount of support uh, still today uh, when it started, you know, way back in 2011 when we had met is uh, pretty unreal. Rex Burkhead with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Chris Schmidt, Jeremiah Searles, and uh, Colton Stone. Rex, thanks for giving us a few minutes, man. I know you're busy. I know it's downtime. Congratulations to you on your success. Thanks for what you're doing, as always, with Team Jack. And we'll get caught up down the road again. Appreciate you giving us a few. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Take care. Uh, See you, buddy. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Best of Hale Varsity Radio. Here's Brian Bosworth. His 30 for 30 came down last fall. His thoughts on so many things with his life and that boss persona. God, I get asked this question all the time. Who is the boss? The boss is highly controversial, highly sensational. I never met an athlete who could market himself better. I'm an extremist. People either hate me or love me. He built himself up to be bigger than life. Action hero. A lot of people do that now. He just did it better. Everywhere you go, all you hear is Brian Bosworth. He's one of the best college linebackers I've ever seen play the game. You know who it is. The Boss. But arguably he's one of the biggest jerks that's ever played the game. I told him not to do anything to take away from our player performance on the football field. If you tell me that I can't do something, by God, I'm going to want to do it. He started becoming somebody that I didn't recognize. The lines were becoming blurred, I think, even to Brian. He wanted to have the Brian in, without the boss. If I could be the boss, <laughs> I cut my hair, I start doing steroids, I'd do it all. I'm going to come up with a psychological mess in this deal. You know that night. <laughs> Brian Bosworth with his son, Hale Varsity Radio. Brian, welcome back to Nebraska. How are you? I'm well. Am I talking to Chris or Gus? You're talking to both of us. <laughs> How you guys doing? We're doing how's awesome. Doing, doing we're, we're, we're doing great, Brian. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us, and I can't wait to see your... Your document documentary. I know it's, it was a couple of years in the works, and it'll it'll air for everyone to see tomorrow night. Brian, I got to ask you when when did that persona Brian turn to, to the boss? When was Boz? When was he born? Well, if we're talking about Boz, this Boz himself, Boz was you know 
he was he was the guy that was allowed to go out and, and play on the football field. So in high school and junior high, because I had such a um, a rambunctious and rowdy and out of control behavioral pattern, and when I was young and in elementary school and junior high, and I kind of got it under, under control in high school because uh, I was forced to. Otherwise, they would take football away from me. Boz would go out there and and he would go crazy. So that was my outlet. That was where I could go and and get this energy that I had that was inside me. I call my God gift. The Boz was born, as best I can tell, going back in hindsight, probably the week that we played OU uh, in Texas that first time in 1984 prior to the game when I had some personal issues come up into my life and I let that bleed over into Boz and as I walked in the locker room to answer a few very simple questions as a young kid from Texas playing football at Oklahoma would answer very vanilla I sprinkled a lot of little toppings on it and that's when the Boz was born because I had such a hatred uh, for all the things that were going on in my life at the time, especially with the University of Texas, especially not being um, from Texas. I was an Oklahoma boy, so that was my rival, and I just let it out. And I think that's what started the Boz's fuse. You had a lot of, uh, not, I guess, conversations, if you will, to generalize it with with the, the crowds that you played in front of, whether it be home or away. How did that help you feed off that energy to throw that extra little push into your game and to help your team as you guys just dominated some folks back in the years? Well, I mean, I, I always dissected the game in, in, a, in a psychological sort of way. You know, on defense, you... Your mindset is to attack. Your mindset is to get into the head of the offensive player. Your mindset is to get into the head of the guy who's got the rock. Starts with the quarterback. Next, it's usually the running back. So my job is to be the villain. My job is to make them understand that this cat on this side of the football is absolutely 100% insane, and I don't want to get anywhere near him, but my job is to run past him somehow, some way. So there's going to be an intersection of, of, of impact, and, and I didn't like to just impact people. I like to implode them as much as possible. That, again, was my way of you know, exuding the energy that was inside me. And then you know, once you get on the stage and you're in front of 75,000, 80,000 people, uh, especially when you're away from home, the boos come in and the hatred and the name calling and that just feeds us. But people think that, that that gets under our skin as defensive players. That's like throwing kerosene on an already out of control fire for a defensive player. So we feed on that and I especially fed on that um, when we were playing away and, and when you're playing against a rival like Nebraska where it's an all or nothing campaign, it just, it just raises the stakes. Brian Bosworth with us. A few more minutes. Hail Varsity Radio, his documentary tomorrow night. can find Brian on Twitter, at GotBoz44. And Brian versus the Boz. I can't wait to see this. I know many football fans, Nebraska fans, anxious to see it. Brian, is this documentary hard for you to watch? It was extremely hard for me to watch. Um, I actually didn't want to watch it, and they implored me to watch it before we 
you know, did the premiere last week in New York, they suggested that I watch it uh, just so that I would be prepared. I knew what we had shot, but I didn't know how it was going to affect me. Um, many, many years went into understanding how to deal with the pain. And the pain doesn't just start in college. The pain for me started many, many years ago from the time I was a little kid in my relationship with my father, my broken relationship with my father. And it, and it you know, really bothered me that I could never come to a place with my father before he passed that we could be in the same room, but we could extend emotion to each other. Um, and the thing that really bothered me is when he passed away, as I saw his last breath, I felt empty inside. And I also saw that I was doing the exact same things that he, that he had planted in me. And I had a son and I had two daughters and I didn't want that to continue. So I had to confront that silence and I had to confront those issues that nobody wanted to talk about and bring them out and let's discuss the whys and how we're going to get through it. Um, and me being who I was, my fear was my son was having to stand in the shadow of this persona. Not much different than me having to stand in the shadow of the expectations of my father, which I never could meet. And I didn't want that to be a difficult issue for my son as he grew up. So it was very hard for me to watch um, undress the boss in front of my son so that he could see that there is no boss. There's just Brian. Brian is your father. Brian, what kind of influence has Coach Switzer had on your life? Uh, immeasurable. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Coach Switzer, there would be no boss. There would be no the boss, and I know Coach Switzer wouldn't really like. He'd like to go back and make sure there wouldn't be no boss. He would he would put the boss in a cage and let boss come out and play football, and then he'd put him back in a cage after the game was over with. Um, but his impact on me, just the level of of the confidence that that he gave me, um, and he allowed me to be me. He allowed me to to explore the things that my father wouldn't let me do. He he extended grace and he extended, you know, love. He's the first man who told me, Brian, I love you. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome. One hour one, Hail Varsity Radio, Hail Varsity Magazine, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Best of Hail Varsity Radio. You just heard from Brian Bosworth. We'll get his thoughts to wrap up this hour as a little bit of an excerpt on Nebraska-Oklahoma, that rivalry that was so special to the Boz. First, though, a message from your friends at Sauter Heyman. 110 years and counting, they've helped tens of thousands of customers find the jewelry of their dreams over decades. The best quality, the best selection, the best values of any jeweler. Kind of like that Oklahoma-Nebraska series, the best of. And more graduate gemologists, more award-winning master jewelers, they're at Sauter Heyman. 12th and O downtown, South Point Pavilion, or traveling west to Grand Island location for you. Bottom line, get down there and see Rick today. I uh, can log on yourbestring.com, sauterhayman.com. Brian Bosworth, his thoughts, part of this interview as we continue on the best of Hale Varsity Radio, Oklahoma, Nebraska, what it meant to the boss. Oklahoma was in the Big Eight. And I always put the Big Eight on a pedestal here 
above all in the Southwest Conference was down here, you know, at the bottom somewhere. And Coach Switzer found out that I had canceled the trip, and he decided to change my mind by coming into the cafeteria in the, in the mink coat and calling me out. And, but it wasn't just his... It wasn't just the charisma that he came into the, to the uh, cafeteria. It was the words that he said to me and the way he said them and the passion that he had that made me believe that this man wanted me. I wasn't just another number, but I was going to be part of his family. And that was the most important thing to me, to be part of his family. And that's the way Oklahoma football is, and I'm sure it's like that back in Tom Osborne's day where people went there because it was part of a family and a tradition and a, and a legacy that those young men want to be part of and make that tradition even stronger for being there. Brian, 30 seconds, Nebraska, Oklahoma. How do you describe that? God, I miss that rivalry. I wish we still had that rivalry. It was such a great rivalry. Um, the two big reds coming at each other. I mean, back when we played, it was slobber-knocking, as my buddy JR would say. It was just line up and just beat the hell out of each other for 60 minutes and uh, good, solid coaching on both sides. And it usually came down to, you know, a broken tackle, a mistake, a fumble, a turnover, something would happen. But, you know, those those huskers and us rednecks, we'd bow our, <laughs> you know, our necks back and, and we weren't afraid of each other. We'd get in the ring and we'd slug it out, and it's like, you know what, we'll come, we'll come away with bloody nose, help each other up, and we'll see you the next play. I like that one. You watch, watch what's coming next. I miss that. That's good old-fashioned, hard nose. Get down on the knees, and let's play some football, and I miss doing that. Brian Bosworth. Boz, best to you. Brian, thanks for your time, sir. Best of luck to you. You too. That'll do it for Hour 1, Hail Varsity Radio, Hail Varsity Magazine, as the best of Hail Varsity continues, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. You just heard from Brian Bosworth. If you missed any Hour 1 guests, we had Mike the Pirate Leech on to begin the show, and then we had Rex Burkhead on to start off next hour. Mike Rucker, followed by the former mob boss, Michael Franzese. And then we got Barry Switzer, the good old Oklahoma coach that you just heard Brian talk about. And to end the show, we're having Matt Verzel. Just as a reminder, Chris Schmidt will be back next Tuesday. He has Monday off as well. It'll be me, Damon Barr, and Elijah Herbal again for that one. No show tomorrow on Friday, and no show Saturday morning for the 4th of July holiday. I hope everybody enjoys the weekend and stay safe with all the fireworks and fun. This has been Hail Varsity Radio Best Of, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome back to it, Hail Varsity Radio Best of Edition. I'm Damon Barr. Chris Schmidt is out today. If you missed Hour 1, we will have the podcast up after the show. But to start off Hour 2, we have Mike Rucker. Back into it, it's Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Newest member to the Nebraska Football Hall of Fame, Mike Rucker, number 84 for the Huskers. And number 93 for the Carolina Panthers. Mike, congratulations, man. What was your reaction when you opened the mail? Uh, well, thank you, first of all. Um, 
I was just very humbled and, and honored to uh, open up the uh, the letter and uh, and to show my my family. Um, you know, there's a lot of great ball players and, and coaches that are in the Nebraska Hall of Fame, and to to be part of that that group is uh, something that's pretty special. Well, Nebraska fans loved watching you play, man. Get after the quarterback, force fumbles scare those quarterbacks. Mike Rucker was all over it. Uh, Mike, tell me your story about being one of many kids from that time that found their way to Nebraska. You were another Missouri product that was extremely talented, and you found your way to Lincoln. How did that happen? Well, it's actually a kind of a funny story. Um, I think it really kind of started my sophomore year. Um, Come from St. Joe, not a a whole lot of talents really come out of St. Joe, uh, you know, a smaller community. And, you know, we were playing in the um, state playoffs against West City at home. Um, and I just remember them kept talking about this guy called Grant Winstrom, and, and he played tight end, he played defensive end, and you guys are going to be going head-to-head. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, Coach Brown was recruiting Grant and uh, obviously saw us go – against each other the whole time. And then my senior year, uh, we went down to Web City. And, again, we played against each other the whole time. And, and that's how I, I got onto Nebraska's uh, radar um, as coach for Tennessee. And so, um, you know, it was just a, an honor and a privilege uh, at that point in time because mentally I was a very loyal guy and I wanted to stay in Missouri, but Missouri didn't recruit me. And... And obviously, Nebraska in 93, um, you know, one kick, one, you know, kick away from a championship was, a, was doing really well. And so it was a no-brainer to me and one of the best decisions I've ever made. Uh, when Coach Brown and um, Josh went off in the scholarship, it was, it was a no-brainer at that point in time. And, um, you know, we, we've, uh, we've been really honored to, be able to have been there at the special part of uh, Nebraska's history. Well, you were extremely important to it. Mike Rucker, our guest here, Hale Varsity Radio, newest member of Nebraska Football Hall of Fame. So you're going against Wistrom, and you guys off the edge were a tremendous tandem. Mike, what was it like for you? Because you started quite a few games, but the the your senior seasons when you started all – of the ball games, and I know you were dinged up that season, but you gutted it out. Your role was it difficult for you to 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 play in your role, or was it exciting for you to have that role? How did you view your opportunity at Nebraska? Because you performed, and your production was off the charts, man. I mean, you were a sack machine for Nebraska when you were in there. Yeah, that's, that's a great question, uh, and I remember. Uh, as I got to Nebraska my Richard year, uh, I, I wasn't ready. Physically, I wasn't ready. Technique-wise, I wasn't ready. And I just remember going back to high school and some of the techniques that Grant was using when he was using his hands and he was punching and pulling, that technique was advanced to us from where, where we were being taught. And so um, I took that redshirt year as a time to – uh, get bigger, get stronger, faster, understand, you know, the college life, the playbook. And I enjoyed it. You know, uh, a lot of the, my guys in my freshman class 
uh, redshirted. So we really just enjoyed college and, and school and, and everything uh, that came with it. And so I was able to then as start getting more playing time. I think that's the problem in, in today's world is that we feel like we know that we're good, but if we're not playing as much as we're playing uh, or getting the recognition that we should be getting, that we think we should be getting, we're going to quit, we're going to transfer. And that's the easy way out. And and understanding a, a true team is together everyone achieves more. And I had a role. Um, we were deep at that position, whether you were left side or right side. And we were fortunate enough that everybody knew their role. We made it work. And we were able to, you know, win three national championships. Um, a lot of people can't say that. And so we're fortunate enough to say that. And uh, was, was able to go on to the next level and ultimately play and accomplish one of my biggest goals that I wanted to do, and that was to play in the National Football League. You did that, and you just nailed it with kind of accepting your role, thriving in your role, and, and also being patient while being productive. Mike Rucker's with us, Sale Varsity Radio. Mike, you're loaded at rush end. I mean, you're a second round pick. Kelsey's a second-round pick. Vanden Bosch is a second-round pick. Uh, Chad went and played in the NFL. Grant was a sixth pick overall. Uh, Christian and Jason were super high draft picks. Wiltsey was a third- or fourth-round guy. Steve Warren was a third-round guy. How incredible was that defensive line? It was, it was big. And then, you know, two other names, Dante Jones. Sure. Who played in the National Football League and Jared Tomich. Um, Can't forget Jared. Can't forget Jared. All <laughs> sitting, sitting in front of me as I come in as a red shirt. And so you can see how easily someone could say, you know what, no, I need to be a, a, at the top. Or you say, you know what, these are good guys. Let me learn from them. Okay? If I'm, if I'm truly going to bank on myself and my talents, let me learn from, from some of these guys and, and play the role. And I, ultimately, it was to get a college degree and to get to the National Football League. And we accomplished both of them by being patient and doing what our role was called to do when our number was called. And like I said, there's, there's been so many times where guys want to transfer or go somewhere else, and then they just it just kind of messes up for them. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it, I'm just really pleased um, by the group of men that I was with and our body of work and what we accomplished. Mike Rucker's with us. Mike, uh, tell me about Coach McBride and, and Tony Samuel, how they impacted you. Man, huge. Um, you know, you go back to the mid-'90s, and you're coming from a conference that's it's opposite football. Let's just be blunt-like. It wasn't throwing the ball. I mean, it was physical, and it was running the ball, and they had running option plays out of, 50 million different formations. Um, And Coach Samuel and Coach McBride set us up to be successful, to win, but they also were ahead of their time in my eyes for myself at the NFL level. When I went to the NFL, the techniques and the things that I were doing, and you see some guys coming from these other big programs, and they don't. They, they're, they're struggling with some of these techniques. I'm like thinking back, like, wow, how we were prepared 
with just punching and pulling and use our hands and leverage and playing on the edge. All of these things helped us get a head start, I believe, um, in the NFL. Mike, uh, a thought here on that that day you got your black shirt. What was that like? It was awesome. I mean, that that was something that, you know, getting that black shirt was a thing. Uh, coming there as a red shirt, that was one of those um, goals, uh, personal goals that a guy would have. And and once you had it like that, that kind of validated you amongst the other, other because at that point in time, other programs knew what that meant. You know, it wasn't just an inter-squad thing or, you know, a Nebraska thing. Everybody, whether you were in Florida, played for University of Florida or Maryland or Tennessee, you knew what a black shirt meant. And so to be able to have that black shirt and uh, be able to put that on for the first time was something special. And that's a memory that you will not forget. And um, I just I think it got watered down over the years, but I think with with the, the older guys telling their stories and, and how much that, that shirt meant, um, I think we'll kind of bring that back alive. And uh, guys, this, you know, this next generation will really understand what a true black shirt really means. Mike Rucker's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Radio, newest member of the Nebraska Football Hall of Fame. Uh, your, your reaction to Coach Frost, have you been back yet to see him at all, or is that something you're planning on doing? I haven't been back yet. I'll be back um, in September, uh, maybe a couple times. But, you know, being able to, um, you know, play with Frosty and, and win a championship with him, it was just a perfect fit. And, you know, you talk about timing because there was one point in time where his name was thrown around um, when a coaching search had started before, mm-hmm. and um, he didn't get that look. And that's what we, we talked about earlier in the interview. It's about timing and being patient. And that time wasn't right, but this time is right. And just the way that he's assembled the staff, um, he's got some fresh blood. He's got some some old schoolers. I call them old schoolers on the coaching side, um, you know, coming back. And to me, he's what Nebraska's about. He's he's bringing back those values and not compromising. Okay, you're you're not going to compromise your values to just try to get a win or to try to get a recruit. And uh, I just can't wait um, for the season to start and then the bar is set and then we start climbing the ladder from there. Um, just, just really excited for him and the staff and can't wait to uh, to get to sit down and then chop it up with them. Mike, I got to end with this. And I remember watching you and I was a student at Nebraska and guys, I... I, I sat with, enjoyed not only your effort on the field, but they got the biggest kick out of, the, we call it the Rucker dance, all right? When you're coming, when you're coming out of the tunnel, you're, everyone, there's guys holding hands, right? And everyone's behind T.O., and you're about to come out for the tunnel walk. But you've got this kind of sidestep, I don't even know how to describe it, but but you're just moving, man. You're moving. You're you got you're you're jumping up and down. You're hopping up and down. You're you're kind of going side to side. We call it the Rucker Dance. Do you remember doing that? Absolutely, absolutely. I don't know how it got started, but it's kind of like just like boxers. You know, just I was just trying to get ready, and, and it kept the blood going, and just 
really excited. We we have. Well, I tried to to explain to my teammates at the next level and to to talk to people about Nebraska and its fan base. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like it. And when when you're in the NFL locker room, guys would talk about how nice the fans were, and and and, and it just goes to show you the values of the state of Nebraska. And, and our fans and how special they are. So going down that tunnel walk, there is nothing like it to be able to go down that walk, to hear that music. I mean, for me personally, I could not hold my excitement in every <laughs> single time. So I needed to get ready. And so all that kind of just started from that um, and getting ready to see those fans uh, as we ran out of that. That was just something special that um, really happened in Nebraska. Mike, uh, last uh, thought here. Great career with Carolina. Went to a Super Bowl. You and Julius Peppers, uh, all pro. Both of you with 10-plus sacks in that 03 season. Mike, you've done so much in the community. I mean, you've got a realty group. You also started the Ruckus House Child Development and Learning Facility. Uh, Tell us why that was so important for you to start the, the Child Development Center and uh, and give back to, to the folks in Charlotte? Well, I truly believe that I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't the village. Uh, you know, and I mean by the village, mean, you know, the teachers, my parents, um, you know, the next door neighbor, people that invested in me, my co- you know, the coaches there, they invested in me. And I could not have been here or done what I've done with that body of work by myself. And so I felt like, you know, the Lord has blessed myself and my family um, that, you know, if I had that opportunity, that it would be wrong for me not to give back. And so trying to find ways to give back is something that comes natural. I think that um, if I'm not doing something, I'm, I'm just as, um, eager to help other people uh, do what they're doing and support them. There's a lot of great causes and a lot of great um, uh, things going out there. And so if I could bring awareness to something or if I can get my hands dirty, um, I- I'm there to do it. And it doesn't matter if it's here in Charlotte, North Carolina, or if it's in Missouri or Nebraska. Uh, it, it, people are doing great things, and no matter where it's at, I want to be there, and I want to be able to help if I can. That's awesome. Mike Rucker, Nebraska Football Hall of Famer, class of 2018. Uh, Incredible player for the Big Red, and even better off the field with all he's done in the community in Charlotte, in Missouri, and and giving back in Nebraska. Mike, it's been a a lot of fun to to watch you as a kid who grew up here in Nebraska, but uh, thanks so much for what you're doing outside the community. And, uh, and for life after football. It was fun chatting with you today. Appreciate it, buddy. You have a good one. You too, man. Thank you. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Michael, thanks for the time. How are you? Oh, I'm good, Chris. And you? Doing well. It's uh, just a busy time between recruiting and NBA draft, and, and it's always a busy time for you between TV, between radio, between films and features, and uh, and the, the outreach you do. For, for our new listeners, Michael, take a couple of minutes, if you could, and just kind of introduce 
your background, your family, your upbringing, and uh, your life in the mafia? Will do, Chris. My my dad was the uh, one-time underboss of the uh, Colombo family, one of the five New York uh, La Cosa Nostra families back in the 60s, and so I kind of grew up in that atmosphere, originally going to school to be a doctor. Uh, that's what my dad wanted from me, but then he got in some real serious trouble, eventually drew a 50-year uh, federal prison sentence and went off to do his time in 1970. I was a pre-med student at that time, and Joe Colombo, the boss of our family, kind of took me under his wing. And, uh, you know, long story short, I went to visit Dad in prison and said, Dad, I'm, I'm not going to school anymore. If I don't help you out, you're going to die in here. And after a brief discussion he and I had, he eventually agreed to, um, you know, offer me into the family. And uh, he proposed me at that point in time, and uh, I went through kind of a pledge period where I had to prove myself worthy. I was 22 years old, and then on Halloween night, 1975, I actually took an oath and was inducted into the family as a made man. I came in as a soldier from 1975 till 80. I enjoyed some success, uh, made a tremendous amount of money, and was appointed a captain of cop regime in 1980. And uh, was in a captain in that family from 80 until about 95, when I consider myself pretty well formally removed from the life. And, you know, some people out there that are listening understand that I walked away from that life as a result of meeting a young woman who's now my wife of 30 years, a young woman of faith who kind of led me out of the life and led me to where I am today. So that's the... Uh, that's the short version of a very long story. <laughs> short and interesting <laughs> version, Michael. And, of course, Pete Rose back in the news now, and there's some questions that you probably um, at least can answer in general, for instance, regarding Pete Rose. When you're, you know, the Dowd report alludes to the fact that he, or at least John Dowd re alludes to the fact that Pete was maybe a half million in deep in gambling um, losses to New Jersey loan sharks. Now, here's what I'm asking you. Put that in. How, how big of a situation is that for a guy to be in? I mean, how much trouble are you in at that point? Well, you know, Pete was in, in trouble. I mean, I think what saved him was, number one, who he was, a celebrity for a while. But, you know, we were familiar with the situation back then. He was actually, he had a go-between that was uh, – a guy that was well known to us from Staten Island. He used to hang out in Brooklyn, and he was kind of doing the bets for, for Pete at that time. And, you know, we also knew of the bookmakers. Listen, any bookmaker at that point in time that could carry a decent bet was involved with us in some way, shape, or form. So it was pretty well common knowledge, the, uh, the problems that Pete had back then. And that's why I don't think it's any huge revelation right now. I mean, that, you know, he was gambling on games. I mean, anybody that knows uh, on games that he played in, Anybody that knows uh, a gambler with, um, you know, the kind of sickness or addiction he had, uh, they gamble on anything every time, and especially when we're in that much trouble. They would do whatever they needed to do to get out of debt, especially with one of us. So I don't think there's any great revelation, um, but it certainly is a fact. Michael Franzese, a few minutes with us here. Hail Varsity Radio at Michael Franzese on Twitter. MichaelFranzese.com uh, is where you can log on. And uh, Michael Pete Rose, did he seek out action, to your knowledge, or did you guys target him to get him in over his head? No, Pete was, uh, you know, Pete was a gambler, no doubt about it. He was looking for it, and we didn't have to target him. He came to us. And like I said, it was common knowledge. And I, I want to make this clear, mm -hmm. you know, Pete okay. certainly wasn't, the, you know, he wasn't the only guy out there. I mean, you know, back in my day, there was, there was athletes, 
uh, just like today, that were uh, gambling pretty heavy. You know, he just happened to be the one that just went way out of bounds and, and certainly became, uh, you know, became well-known. But, um, you know, again, it's not too out of the ordinary, Chris, and he was just one of the bigger ones. 17 years, and you had a gambling operation you ran. You had the gasoline scam you ran, hundreds of millions of dollars made. Michael, when you were made and you rose up the ranks to be capo, talk to me about that promotion and then getting and running a gambling ring. I mean, as far as being in charge of that and then targeting an athlete or a referee. Well, you know, as far as my rising in the ranks, I, I, w- I was fortunate, Chris. I knew how to use that life to benefit me in business. And I, you know, I got the major thing I got involved in. And I was very aggressive on the street. I had, you know, a number of operations, both legal and illegal. But the biggest operation I had was um, we were defrauding the government out of the taxes on every gallon of gasoline. And I had a wholesale company. I had actually 18 different licensed companies to collect taxes. And we, def- we figured a way how to, to collect the tax and not pay the government. And just to give you an idea, at the height of my operation, I was selling a half a billion gallons of gas a month. And we were doing between 20 and 40 cents a gallon is what we were taking down. That, mm-hmm. that was a tax at the time. So, you know, based upon that and, and the success I had, you know, in that life, uh, money means power. And I made some, uh, some good relationships. And the boss of my family, who's now doing life in prison, uh, he promoted me to Copper Regime, and that happened in 1980. You know, as far as gambling, you know, like anything else, um, I had, I think, 12 or 13 bookmakers that answered to me. I wasn't a bookmaker myself, but every one of us guys was somehow involved with gambling. I mean, that's that's just a big product of the street. And every gamb- every bookmaker, rather, that could carry a bet was involved with us in some way in the New York New Jersey area. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't be a bookmaker without being associated with us. So um, you know, that was my experience there. We had a lot of athletes gambling with us so on a pro level, certainly on a college level. Some of these guys we did put in compromising positions. We let them run up some big debts with us because you know when they start chasing, uh, you know, remember a bookmaker takes credit. You make a phone call, you know, we give you credit. Uh, but that doesn't mean you're not going to pay. You know, we're, we're good collectors. So a lot of these guys ran up big debts. <laughs> Michael Franzese with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Michael, uh, Tim Donahue uh, was able to uh, get out of prison, and now he's doing consulting. When you watch an NBA game, Michael, and I don't know how much you watch the NBA, but or, or pick a sport, do your wheels start turning based on what you see? And then also a second part to this, you have Commissioner Silver that wants to to maybe take a look at, at allowing betting in the NBA to, to get his hands around it and control it because it's it's happening anyway. Your your thoughts on both of those things? Well, he's never going to control it. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think the way, to, you know, sending me with, with drugs, I don't think the way to control drugs is to by make it more available. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, you're hurting more people. And the same thing with gambling. He's not going to control it any better that way. You know, I'll give you an example. When OTB came into New York, OTB was, uh, you know, off-track betting. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a conversation with uh, some law enforcement people, and they said, you know, we're going to put all you bookmakers out of business now because – you can go in and you can gamble legally. And I said, yeah, but remember one thing. They'll go in, they'll gamble legally. You don't give credit. you got to put your money down. And as soon as those guys lose, they're going to come back to the bookmaker to continue bookmaking. You're going to increase our business because now you're making gambling uh, more accessible. And that's what happened. 
And by the way, OTB went out of business. They didn't have to run it. They should have came to us. We would handle it for them. But anyway, um, so that, that that's just silly. You know, I mean, silly to think that way, um, that that would control it. And do I believe guys are gambling? It's not a question of what I believe, Chris. It's what I know. You know, I'm, I'm well into this. And uh, I know they're gambling. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And uh, I think anybody that thinks differently is very naive. In professional sports mainly, though, you think you think it's filtered to the college level? Well, let's put it this way. I'll give you an example. I, okay. uh, I worked for the NCAA from, from 1998 until the present. I visited um, just about every Division One school. Uh, I speak to all the athletes. At the end of my discussion, it's all about gambling and uh, relationships. At the end of my discussion, I make an announcement. I said, look, I don't work for the NCAA. I'm not part of enforcement. I know some of you guys are struggling. If I got 400 in here, 100 of you are gambling on something. You're going to go up on the Internet, and you're going to start gambling away. It's just what you do. I said, so I'm going to make you an offer. I said, if you've got a gambling problem or you know somebody that does, okay, and you need some help, I'm not going to tell anybody. I don't even need to know your name. Just send me an email, and I'll see what I can do. Chris, I kid you not, and, and I can verify this, by the time I get back to my hotel room, I have emails from some of these athletes that are going through gambling issues. It has never failed, not one school, over the past 15 years. Michael Franzese with us, Hale Varsity Radio, michaelfranzese.com, at Michael Franzese on Twitter. And Inside the American Mob is on Netflix. He's a huge part of that six-part series. Please check that out. Michael, I have about 90 seconds to two minutes left. Uh, Tim Donahue, the NBA referee, uh, how much do you know, actually, how well do you know him and, and touch on how he was able to be compromised, if you could? Well, we spoke several times after the fact, after he got in trouble. He called me, um, you know, for some advice, and he called me. Uh, he was really concerned about his family, his kids, because he was going into prison. He wanted some advice, so on and so forth. He actually wanted to speak with me at one point. Maybe when he got out, I didn't think that was a great idea. But, you know, listen, he doesn't have a lot of credibility with me because, number one, you know, I read about his having to go to a white supremacist uh, group for help when he was in a prison camp. And uh, (laughs) believe me, there's no credibility. You you don't need a white supremacist in a prison camp. You don't need anybody in a prison camp to help you. It's, it's, It's just not it's not realistic and it's not believable. But, you know, the fact that he's back into gambling again, I mean, it says a lot. There's a guy that had another problem, had an, an addiction, and I don't think he's gotten over it yet. Um, and, you know, I know at important times I said to him, you know, I would say, come on, Tim, you know, you had to impact your own games, especially when you got yourself in trouble. And he swore that he never did. And, you know, I have no proof that he didn't. But again, it goes against everything that I know about a gambler. An NBA referee can have such an impact on a game. He can call a foul on every time they go up and down to court, or he doesn't have to call a foul. He can miss it, you know, and that has a tremendous impact on basketball, especially, you know, and uh, it's hard to believe that he was that much involved and he didn't do things to compromise the game. I, I would not, if I had to take a lie detector test, uh, I'd have to answer that I didn't believe him. Michael Franzis. Michael, please keep us up to date with future projects. Congratulations on your success, your turnaround in life, and the outreach you're doing with uh, the Youth of America and also uh, the different uh, campuses you visit each year to talk about the dangers of gambling. Uh, continued success to you. Take care, and thanks for a few minutes with us. 
Chris, I appreciate it. I want to just say one thing. Having said all of that, I still believe that Pete belongs in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Okay. <laughs> just because of what he did on the field. Uh, I, absolutely. I mean, he's an absolutely unique player. I don't think any, anybody's ever going to reach that plateau mm-hmm. with the hits. And He was a great player and has nothing to do, as far as I'm concerned, with, uh, with what he did. Okay, on-field performance. Thanks for adding that. Michael, you're awesome. Thanks and take care. Okay, Chris. Thank you. Take Bye-bye. Care. Coach Barry Switzer's on the way with a Hale Varsity Radio Best Of edition presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Wouldn't be a best of without the uh, bootleggers boy, Barry Switzer, with his talking signing day eve on Hale Varsity Radio. Enjoy. Chris, I'm doing fine. Beautiful day here in Northern Oklahoma. Sign the day tomorrow, and uh, we'll know how the Sooners are smiling or not tomorrow. That's a big day for everyone in major college football. It but, is. Uh, it is. And, and Coach Riley for Nebraska has done a great job of keeping a class together. That We'll see how it how it pans out. I want to ask you, though, because you won a Super Bowl not long ago. What did you think of Super Bowl Forty Nine? Well, not long ago. It was 19 years ago, Chris. I, I, I'd be long to you, but it seems like an eternity to me. Yeah, but it's like, no, it's, it's like the other day, really, when you stop thinking about it, it goes by too fast. Yeah, you know, the Super Bowl was uh, one of the better games that we've seen. It had some great plays at the end. It's thrilling. Uh, a climax to a, a, a really good football game. Uh, two good teams. Disappointed that, uh, you know, obviously uh, in the play of the defense 31 seconds left in the half and let them go 80 yards to score I couldn't believe the Patriots let them down right there and that was didn't expect that to happen but uh, you know and then of course Brady's interception kept them getting some points but I felt Patriots was a better team and uh, and it ended up being that way even though a fluke play damn near gave them the ball game but a, 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 a unpercentage call at uh, at the final seconds, gave uh, the victory to them. Do you think it's unfair that that Carroll's getting beat up as bad as as bad as he is for the uh, the pass on second down? Well, you know, pro football, it's hard to make two yards. It's you know, obviously to convert and all. But here's for touchdown, you got three yards with a great tough inside runner, and with the ability of that guy on the option play and the option read that they do. They cannot just load up. People say, well, they're just going to load up in the middle. You can't do that against uh, uh, Russell Wilson. They have to defend the perimeters, and, and which they did. They were going to defend the perimeters, and they have to defend the run, north and south run. But uh, it's not like playing Brady. You know, you're not worried about Brady and containing him and him beating you with his legs. You'd have to worry about the other guy and uh, the ability to do that. I think this, you know, call for percentage uh, of running the football. And uh, I always play percentages, and the percentages favored the run over the pass that, that down. Barry Switzer, a few more, more minutes with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, it is signing day tomorrow. You were uh, amazing as a recruiter. And I saw an interview you did with Grantland and – I, I, we, we've talked recruiting a lot. You told the story last time you were on about getting a hold of Billy Sims uh, while he was pumping gas one, one halftime. <laughs> well, that's a true story. I was in the locker room in Colorado in 1974. How long ago has that been now? It's been a while. That's, what, 40 years or more? You know, I was in the locker room. We were leading 28 to nothing. We're in 1974. We go undefeated that year, win the national championship, and 
And we've got a great football team, Lil Joe and the Selman brothers, Rod Show. Just a great group of talent. And and uh, I go into the locker room, and we're leading. And, and Joe Washington's already rushed 200 yards and a half. And I go in, there's nothing for me to talk to team about. And I'm thinking recruiting all the time. I see a payphone. You don't see payphones anymore. But there's a payphone in the locker room to Colorado locker room. I went over there and put a nickel in it. And... Uh, and I called Hook Service Station, uh, uh, C.J. Conoco, Conoco Service Station, Hooks, Texas, on I-30. And uh, Billy pumps gas there on Saturday. And I told C.J., Billy, I want to talk to him. I don't have long. And he said, well, Coach, aren't you at a game? I, I, yeah, I'm at a game. Get him on the phone. I don't have long. So he got him on the phone. And uh, and I talked to Billy the entire halftime. And the referee came up taps me on the shoulder and said, uh, I said, Billy, you hear that? The referee says, I got five minutes to get back out there. I says, well, once we, we finish this butt kicking tonight, I'll give you a call tonight and we'll visit. You know, So when I hung up, he knew that I couldn't talk to anybody else. He knew what I was doing, where I was, and uh, he knew that that's how much I meant to him that uh, I would call during the halftime of a football game that, uh, that he's the guy I wanted. And I picked the right guy. He won the Heisman first player picking the draft. So. I was doing the right thing. You were, you were on it in your valuations big time. Coach, the, the thing that has been described, and this was done by Keith Jackson's mother. The Gladys. Com- Gladys. The comfort you provided in the living room, and you did it to guys like Keith Jackson. You did it for guys like uh, Jamel Holloway, uh, Marcus Dupree, Billy Sims, Charles Johns, Charles Thompson. I mean, the guys you had, the, the players you got, how did you go in? to the living room and make others feel comfortable because people are in awe of you. Well, let me tell you, I was more comfortable in a black home than I was in a white home. I can tell you that because of the way I was raised. I was raised with a black grandmother. I had the, I buried her when she was 104. I did the eulogy at her funeral. I was only, my brother and I were the only whites at the funeral mm. in a little town in South Arkansas And uh, when she passed away. I took care of the last 30 years of her life in a nursing home. She raised me, and uh, I, I was around her children. She had 16 children. She outlived all but three. So I was immersed in black family for my entire youth. And uh, I, I, I didn't understand how people thought and thought, you know, and reacted the way they did back in the 50s because I had a totally different attitude about it and uh, because the way I was raised, and I had a completely different understanding. Coach, you, you were the first guy playing African-American quarterbacks. I was recruiting. In fact, I was telling someone the story the other day. I recruited Tony Dungy. He was out of Jackson, uh, Michigan, Upper mm. Peninsula. I'm in his home with a class family, mother and father, class act. And Tony, uh, we know Tony. And I'm selling him on coming to Oklahoma and being my starting quarterback in 1972. Well, you know what? Tony was coming to Oklahoma to visit. And all of a sudden, the NCAA goes from to under the umbrella of scholarships, total control. We go to 30 scholarships, and they make freshmen immediately eligible. Well, when that happened, uh, we already had our total commitment of scholarships. Mm. And uh, and I, it made me sick that I had to back off Tony Dungy. If he would have come to Oklahoma, he would have started for us in 72 and been that run of uh, national championships that we had here at Oklahoma. And uh, so... I missed a great, a great player right there, and he knew I would play. Uh, 
playing the quarterback because I had already recruited Kerry Jackson out of Galveston Ball who was playing for me and was leading the leading passer and rusher on the team at the time in 1971. And um, I, t- I tried to re- t- recruit Terry Robisky out of this award nine in New Orleans. And I told Terry, they're telling you at LSU they're going to play you at quarterback. I said, Terry, they're lying to your ass. You'll be at running back another week. And I, well, I was a pro ball 20 years later and I walked up behind him on the field at RFK Stadium and, and uh, at Washington. I, I saw him out there. He was on Don Burrow's staff. I walked up and put my arms around him and whispered me, I told you they wouldn't keep your ass at quarterback. He died laughing. He said, Coach, you were right. One week they had me at running back. But, uh, you know, anyway, it, I, I had a great rapport and, and understanding that uh, – and I was doing the right thing when no one else was doing it. I was doing the right thing because it was the right thing to do and no one else was doing it at the time. Barry Switzer with us. Hail Varsity Radio Coach, the hardest recruit you landed when it comes to the process and signing the kid. Oh, Jesus. Well, it's – you know, the, I, when your kids uh, – make poor decisions or on reasons why they go to school sometimes and it's it's getting uh, other people outside factors involved in it that really don't make uh, the money's award and it doesn't give clarity and those are the things that doesn't happen most kids already have their mind made up and uh, you don't lose many in the 11th hour I, I never did but uh, I did lose Yale to Nebraska in the 11th hour because he was committed to me and coming all along but uh that was a killer. But anyway, uh, good to talk to you as always, Chris. I got to run here. I got to point big boy. Coach, take care. Love you. Thanks All right. again. I love you. Bye. But- Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Matt Verzel's with us. Last thought, Verz. Uh, Greg Austin going to have more input in the offense. Run game coordinator. I know what Coach wants to do, and that's be physical. That's run the ball. He uh, also a former Nebraska offensive lineman. That's the want. Do you think we see it? Can Nebraska lean on a run game if if we get football in 2020? Well, let's eliminate the if part. Let's be a little more positive than that, Smitty. Come on now. I, I think we're getting. Uh, I think we're going to get it. It's just going to be different than what we th- thought maybe two weeks ago. Correct. Um, your if your offensive line coach isn't your run game coordinator, and this is nothing against Coach Austin, I think he's doing a nice job there. But to me, it, it's just a title. Um, he he is the run game coordinator. He will always be the run sure. game coordinator as the offensive line coach because that's what we want to do. Uh-huh. Um, term <laughs> term was in the other night. He grabbed the pizza on Father's Day, and he, we were talking <laughs> shopping. He said something, and I was like, yeah, I don't care what you do as long as you run it. I'm like, you just stop throwing it around the field, and we'll be fine. But So it will be good to have Austin's voice be heard. Um, I think you saw a little bit of his frustration last year. Yeah. Um, a reporter asked him a question about running the ball, and he kind of snapped back real fast. and said, well, in order to run the ball, you have to call running plays. And so I thought that resonated quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know what that looks on their headsets. If if Coach Frost says, hey, Greg, what do you think here? And Austin has a run play in mind or what that what that develops, or if it's more of a of during the week kind of thing, hey, this is what we feel comfortable with. Um, but it's your offensive line coach has to have a voice. And you have to let him 
get his input in there, be that early in the week or on the game day. But yeah, I think they'll be he'll be really good at it. Can Nebraska do it? The only thing with run blocking that's different is your attitude. It isn't it isn't a seven hundred pound squad, it isn't a nine hundred pound bench. It's the six inches from your left ear to your right ear. And it's just a mindset that's like, hey, I'm going to take you where you are. I'm going to move you off of your spot. You might get, you might look like you're winning, but I'm going to move my feet. My feet are going to be so technically sound that you can't get around me. My hands are going to be in great position. So if you tilt one way wrong, I'm going to lever you and I'm going to put you on the ground. So you're going to be the one that makes a mistake. I'm going to be the one that capitalizes on it. And my running back is going to run the ball for a long ways. So it's... It's that shifted mentality. I think sometimes Nebraska's offensive line last year looked a little passive. They looked um, maybe a little bit more reactionary. Mm. You talk to any one of them dudes, right? You, you go back to some of those old boys in the 80s even, right? Jimmy Wanick, Dougie Glazier, you talk to them dudes, they still know they will whoop you right now. And it's just the way that they carry themselves. It's just a mindset and mentality. So it's amazing what you can do physically if you shift the brain, right? You move the brain to say, this is what I'm going to do. Your body will follow. It doesn't have any choice. So hopefully they can get that nasty mindset and mentality and find some football players in there and start start beating some people up. Matt Verzel with us, Sale Varsity Radio. Good talking, O-line. Verz, continued success to you, man, in the, in the pizza world and on the radio, brother. Thanks for a few minutes today. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to a Hail Varsity Radio Best of Edition today. Like I said earlier, if you missed the show, it'll be up on iTunes and on the ESPN Lincoln website. No show tomorrow for the July 3rd festivities and no show Saturday morning honoring July 4th. We'll be back on Monday. Me, Damon Barr, and Elijah Herbal. Thanks for listening. Nebraska, 